Welcome to the Stefan Levera podcast, focused on Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Learn about the technology and economics of Bitcoin by listening to interviews with Bitcoin's best. Today, for episode 54, my guest is Justin Camarina, software developer at BitRefill. Today, you'll learn a little bit about Justin's journey learning Bitcoin Lightning development and pioneering BitRefill acceptance of Bitcoin via the Lightning network, and also a bit about Lightning channel management. Also, for anyone interested, I interviewed Sergey Kotliar, CEO of BitRefill, for episode 25 of this podcast. Here's my discussion with Justin. Justin, welcome to the show. Hello. Happy to be on. Yeah, so Justin, I've heard you've been doing a lot of cool stuff. And just for listeners, I've also previously interviewed Sergey Kotliar, also of BitRefill. And I thought it would be really cool to talk to you, Justin, and get a sense on what your experience was like with starting out learning lightning and then what you guys are doing now with bit re- at bit refill with things like thor but let's just get a little bit of background on you first just for the listeners justin yeah so uh my name is uh, justin camarena uh i've been in bitcoin not as early as most but my first touch was in 2011 uh, but i really started delving into the community in late 2013 um it was uh, at around the time I was in college. So I actually switched uh, my major from political science into computer science because of how much I was interested in Bitcoin. So in, in this, I sort of foray into learning how to program to actually start building stuff around Bitcoin or with it. Um, I think that's my intro. Sure. Okay. And let's talk a bit about how you got started working with Lightning Network. Right. So originally, I uh, was very interested in the payment channel technology. Uh, There was a company called 21 previously that sort of kind of got into this field. They provided a payment channel tech, a centralized version. But they basically uh, started getting interest in the Bitcoin community and building APIs that utilized payment channels. Well, their scheme was sort of uh, clunky in, in that the channels were time-based and it only allowed you to send from um, one node to another node. It didn't have this sort of multi-hop or sending through the network. There was no network, so to speak. It was between two participants. So I, I first started getting interested in building APIs on, on this just because of how easy it was. And they had, they built a library out of this. Um, so with Lightning, uh, when the paper was released in 20, uh, I believe 2016, I was invited to an MIT cryptocurrency bootcamp in the middle of 2016, and there I met Taj. And at the time, uh, I think they were building LND, but it wasn't at a state where it was running or many testers. So after that event, I sort of started becoming a tester and helping out with LND. And I was in university, and I wasn't working in any company at this point. So at that point, uh, Lightning was very uh, limited. The Node software ran, but you were only able to send between two nodes. Um, there were a lot of issues. So in my my own way, I'm not a Go developer, but I thought I'd help out by testing out and, and uh, filing issues, so to speak. Yeah, I think that's a great example as well where you don't necessarily have to be the developer yourself, but you can contribute by being a tester. So tell us a little bit about how you went about learning Lightning and then where you went from there. So initially, it was uh, just starting up a node, um, understanding all these moving parts. Um, 
at the time, uh, you would have to run a full Bitcoin node. I think that's sort of still the case now, but uh, the API was really simple as it is now. Uh, just learning how to create invoices, uh, running the software. Um, let's see. And from there, just building applications on, on top of it. Uh, from there, I sort of got an interest from people on Twitter. I, I was active on, the, on this community and my boss, Sergey Kolyar, reached out to me about interning at Refill at this point in time. So that's how I sort of forayed into testing Lightning and sort of an intro point to a company and sort of being able to integrate Lightning into a, a Bitcoin-based company at this point. Excellent. And then, so let's go a little bit further now. And then you were mentioning how, well, as most people know, BitRefill were one of the pioneers with Lightning Network, both using it on the testnet and also on mainnet to actually sell the product. Tell us a little bit about your experiences there. Yeah, so at BitRefill, we are a, we were at the time just a mobile phone top of company. Uh, we've expanded to selling gift cards. But it was during the scaling debates and the uh, increase of the fee market. So it was... At the, at the time when transactions would cost five or ten dollars um we were interested in, in pushing out anything that could help us accept payments while still in, the, in these times of a high fee period high fees so uh, i was sort of a, the engineer behind integrating this into bit refill and at the time uh i had been working on moving away from using third-party apis i know that uh you had a podcast back with the bills and Francis, how they discussed how they went through uh, like 10 different APIs accepting Bitcoin until moving on their own to accepting it through CypherNode or using their own node. So initially, that was my first task at the company before getting hired, moving uh, the company from be using their own self-hosted node. And uh, from there, I was able to easily expand to uh, add Lightning. At the time, this was the only testnet. So... I pushed it live and we were able to have people on testnet pay orders that wouldn't fulfill or anything, but uh, to try it out, so to speak. And at this time, there were mo no mobile wallets. It was more of a just command line. So the experience around building that, integrating that, wasn't really that that difficult. It was mostly on the node setup, which me would be spinning up a Bitcoin node. Well, fortunately for us, we already had a Bitcoin node up and running just for our, our orders already. So um, the, the difficulties in spinning up a LND node wasn't as difficult earlier as it was today. I, I think it's pretty similar right now. Um, basically just installing Go, um, setting up the configuration, but integrating into BitBerryFill, the website itself, was pretty easy. It was like just a few API calls, being able to understand the paradigm of invoices. So. Uh, instead of addresses, we would have invoices. It was it was pretty easy to integrate, in my in my opinion. Sure, and just give the listeners a sense of the timing here. So my understanding is roughly late two thousand and seventeen. It was kind of fiddling around with testnet, and then sort of early two thousand and eighteen was when you went mainnet. Yeah, so early twenty seventeen, I've been testing out the software, so I was already familiar with it. Um, May of 2017, I actually already had a testnet integration, but at this point, the software was not as stable. It was crashing often. It was not something I could even push out for testnet. Uh, Mid-2017, the late, later end, that's when we started pushing testnet live for, for users to uh, be able to test us. And I believe 
the end of 2017, we had a sort of a private um, beta users testing us live on mainnet. And in 2018 is when we, early 2018 was when we pushed it actually live. Fascinating. And can you tell us a little bit about some of the challenges you faced as you were moving through that, well, I guess that procedure of starting with testnet people and then moving into mainnet? Uh, I think at first it was just having the node be like stable. Um, at the time, um, there were a lot of breaking changes and the node would always crash for X or Y reason. Um, the challenges there were sort of keeping it stable, being able to have it restart automatically. I mean, even today we have some sites that like they're not even you know, crashes and they don't even have the, it implemented to restart on its own. Um, other challenges were sort of how to uh, present this to the user, like uh, as a separate, cur a separate currency, separate payment option. Um, I think today we're sort of seeing many companies merge those options so you can pay with Bitcoin on chain or Lightning. Um, so that's been, it, it wasn't really so much of a, of a challenge for me to add. I would say integrating Bitcoin itself was a, lo a lot harder than integrating Lightning. Right, I see. And what kind of setup were you working with back in the early days compared to what you're working with now? I think uh, early in the days, we uh, there were a lot of APIs that weren't ready or weren't uh, used. Like I could, we couldn't set fee rates for channels. Um, Sending wasn't really a, sort of a thought at the time. Nobody had sending transactions. Um, there were no uh, mobile wallets or any uh, sort of setup to be able to pay mobile wallets at the time. So it was only people that ran servers at the time. But setup-wise, it's, it's still pretty similar to how it was back in the day. Uh, the main APIs for accepting Lightning haven't changed too much, at least for LND. So we use uh, LND, which is one of the three main implementations currently in use. Excellent. And I think the cool thing with this stuff is it's just a, a fascinating opportunity that doing Lightning Network and coding with Lightning Network has given you. So tell us a little bit about what you see there for opportunities for other people who might be considering taking up Lightning development. So what I saw a couple of years back was uh, many people wanted to get into Bitcoin development, but there were many barriers to entry. Uh, they had ideas of what they wanted to implement, but the, it wasn't really feasible doing this all on chain. Like what we're seeing now is more of a, all those possibilities that were, were not feasible before are sort of, sort, of, sort of starting to become feasible with Lightning. Um, and the development certainly is easier to uh, get yourself up and running compared to Bitcoin. Um, there are a host of other like APIs, uh, node setup guides. Uh, there are boot camps, and, and so all these all these kinds of things that help you, and, and communities that sort of help you uh, bootstrap a Lightning node and teach you how to use it and develop. Like we're seeing a much more dev focused community at this point. Right, and the cool thing there is, yeah, as you mentioned, there's a lot of cool guides and ways that make it easy. Have you got anything that you would recommend for listeners who? Uh, interested to try and learn further uh there's a telegram channel called the lightning makers uh, lnd has a uh, slack for uh lightning I, we have a, a dev channel there where we, we help new uh developers understand lightning and understand the api and if they need any help or ask questions we help them there i think uh there are several uh, bitcoin focused classes i believe i think uh his last name is moon 
Uh, yep, Justin Moon. Yeah, little, so boot, little boot camp. I think uh, there are a couple of others that I would recommend, like those. Maybe they can be linked in the chat. But, yeah, uh, sure, are, sure. There are a lot of opportunities compared to what we had in 2013, 2014, I believe. Fantastic. And now let's talk a little bit about BitRefill. So one cool thing that we're moving into now, and um, I saw uh, John Carvalho comment about this as well. He spoke about this idea of gearing up for the Lightning Network paradigm, as that just makes a lot more sense. So how are you guys thinking about this at BitRefill? Uh, we're basically trying to integrate Lightning in everything that we, we think possible. We're trying to expand uh, services and sort of on-ramp users and earners into this this system because uh, we think that with Lightning, we'll have a more of a user base that will able to will be able to cheaply be able to earn money and send money at this point. So the paradigm of uh, expanding and helping push this, which is one of the reasons why we started accepting it early on when many others didn't think it was ready at this point. We, we thought if we show the world that we can accept Lightning and accept it well, and that users can use this to pay us, there's something to, to buy. Um, we can sort of uh, jumpstart this. Excellent. And also, one really cool thing with Lightning is just that it it helps smooth the customer experience in certain ways. So maybe you can comment on that. So com- one example might be if comparing back to the old Bitcoin-only model, where if a service is provided by that company and then they put up the invoice, but then that customer might pay after the invoice has expired. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so with uh, accepting orders with Lightning, it's it's a lot easier than with Bitcoin on chain or even any other altcoins from what I've seen. Um, as a merchant, I've, we've had experience with all the different issues we had with accepting Bitcoin payments. One of them, of course, being expiration of an invoice. Uh, usually a merchant wants a set time frame to be able to accept money because the rate of the Bitcoin rate may change so much or fluctuate where they would they may not want to accept it at that point. Uh, with Lightning, with the invoices, there's an expiry expiration time built in so that if uh, a user pays after a certain time, they're not able to pay the invoice. They just generate a new invoice. So from what we've seen is that it helps with uh, the payment UX user experience entirely. Uh, we also had have, have had a lot of issues with users uh, paying under the, the price like partial orders or paying over the price. Or uh, most of this is probably due to exchanges. Like if a user is in exchange, uh, at times they subtract the fee from them not being sent out, which causes issues for merchants everywhere. I think that's one of the reasons uh, BitPay has implemented BIP70. But I think in my opinion, uh, Lightning is a better uh, fix or sort of an improvement to this. It's basically, uh, other than some early bugs, we haven't had many payment issues accepting. Excellent. Okay. So let's maybe go now into talking about BitRefill's Thor service. So can you tell us, first of all, what it is? Yes. So uh, one of the biggest issues with Lightning would be uh, off the bat being able to receive funds. So with uh, Lightning, uh, if you have funds, you're able to create channels to different participants, merchants, nodes. But at that point, you would only be able to, to pay people. Um, we thought like early on, we sort of thought of a solution to this. Uh, one of my coworkers actually built Thor. And what Thor is, is that uh, it provides sort of capacity or liquidity for users to be able to, to receive 
money over lightning. So what we do is it, we open a channel of a certain capacity, a certain Bitcoin amount to your node, to your mobile wallet, and we make it easy to do so. It's so basically you pay for uh, the amount you want to receive. Say you want to have a channel open to you of uh, 300,000 Satoshis or even the max amount, 0.16 Bitcoin. So what we do is you would purchase this. Uh, there'd be a fee involved as we have to tie up funds and it opens a channel to the node, uh, to the user. So then at that point, when the channel is confirmed, they're able to receive money without having to spend from the channels they have. So if uh, we opened a 0.16 Bitcoin channel, 0.16 Bitcoin channel to a user, they will be able to receive that much off the bat. Right. And I suppose just to maybe help the listeners follow along if they're not as familiar with channel management, let's maybe talk through just an example. So let's say I open a channel to you, Justin, and I open that channel with, say, 5 million Satoshis or 0.05 BTC. Now, at that point, let's say I opened it to you. At that point, I have no incoming or inbound capacity. I only have you know, um, capacity to you. Once, let's say I have paid you, so let's say out of that 5 million, I made a payment for 1 million Satoshis. Only at that point now, I have incoming uh, capacity, correct? Yes. Yeah. And so I suppose what your service is doing then is giving people that incoming capacity without having to first spend. Yes. So uh, yeah. if you are a new user to Bitcoin or even... Um, buying it with fiat, you wouldn't necessarily have Bitcoin to do this in the first place. And while you can receive after you've opened a channel and spent from it, uh, we provide the service sort of so you can do this off the bat. So it's a, a really good example. Fantastic. Okay. And so can you tell us a little bit about what the sort of fees are on this service? So uh, currently, it's a bit arbitrary, I, I would think. It's basically based on the fee rates to open and close a channel. And then there's the fee where we uh, charge to lock up liquidity because us opening a channel to any, any person would mean we're locking up a sort of uh, an amount of money that would only be available to them at that point. So I think for the, the lowest uh, channel capacity, 300,000 Satoshis, we charge a dollar, dollar and 50 cents. And at the highest point, it's 0.16 Bitcoin, which is, I think $20. Um, whether those are reasonable or not, uh, we're always looking into changing the, the fee amounts. Uh, the bigger channels are more mostly focused toward maybe a, a new merchant wants to come online. They don't have any in, inbound capacity and say they want to receive, be able to receive right away before launch. They could use us. And then over time with interest, other nodes would open channels to them automatically. I understand. And so is it just one upfront fee or any sort of ongoing to maintain the channel? So it's a one up, up, upfront fee, but we uh, we sort of put a time limit. So 30 days now, uh, we'll, we guarantee it'll be up. But after that point, uh, we may close the channel. But in my opinion, I think we, we may just leave it open if there's activity in the channel as we earn fees that are routed through that channel. But we're only guaranteed 30 days. I see. And then what are the main, I guess, yeah, so we've sort of spoken about what are some of the main benefits for the users, but uh, I suppose one example is you could have capacity to accept the Lightning Torch. Yes. Yeah, so from what we saw was uh, many users are new to Lightning or even if they had uh, already were already using it, they didn't have the capacity to receive the Lightning Torch. So early, early on, we saw 
more than a couple of users using our service just to be able to receive the torch and send it out. So that's one <laughs> great use case. <laughs> Well, there you go. Okay. And now let's talk a little bit about potential improvements to that service of the Thor service. Can you talk a little bit about what might be coming down in the down the pipeline? Yeah, so uh, we really want to focus on pushing out lightning and sort of being able to have as much users as possible and for them to be able to earn and spend spend money. So one improvement we thought of was sort of implementing what this new scheme called Turbo Channels. So instead of just the channel being all our money pushed to a user, we can sort of sell a balance on that channel. So instead of selling Bitcoin. And this concept of a Turbo Channel would be the amount we push to you, you're able to use right away when the channel is still unconfirmed, if that makes sense. Okay, so in this example, let's say we did something like Okay, Justin, you're selling me something for 1 million Satoshis and I want to open a channel to you for 5 million Satoshis and we would open, like say, I open that channel to you. It's a 5 million channel, but I push it to you with a 1 million balance on your side. Is that correct? No, so it would be, uh, we, would, we would sell a channel to you and we would open a channel to you and then we would push the amount of Bitcoin bot on your end. Oh, so, sorry, it's the other way around. Got you. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So so uh, currently with Lightning, um, or the way Thor works right now is we don't push any amount out to the user because uh, we don't sell Bitcoin in the channel yet. But in the future, we would support this sort of scheme where we can open a channel to you, push like $20, say if you bought $20 worth of Bitcoin, and you're immediately able to spend that $20 in that channel to anywhere on the network. So this Excellent. would provide this was part this was this would provide a way so you would be able to use Lightning instantly after buying it with, say, an altcoin or with with cash or anything, but only from exchanges or sort of these brokerages. Right, and what would be required to enable this concept of turbo channels? Would it require any sort of protocol level change, or is it more just something that can be implemented at an application level? It's more of a the the great thing about Lightning is that. Uh, all nodes do not need to be updated for sort of these sort of improvements to be made. It can sort of be uh, the wallet and the node in question upgrading to support this. It would be like a policy. I mean, it, I think the current proposal is on the protocol level, but it would be something that would, that would be optional. Something that uh, if both no, if both nodes or wallets support it, they would be able to do it. So the currently there's a proposal being proposed for this, and I believe. Uh, Bitcoin Lightning Wallet has already implemented this, and he's and Anton, the developer of this wallet, has a fork of Eclair with this uh, functionality coming soon. Fascinating. And I, I'm just wondering then, what are the kind of are there any other risks or trade offs around this? Could that money get stolen? Uh, well, on the receiving side, they aren't really. Uh, well, they're they're trusting us that we're going to deliver the channel. So basically, Thor right now is sort of not trustless. It's sort of like buying a gift card. Or refill from us, you have to trust that we'll deliver the, the money. So in this case, there is no extra risk for the user to buy a triple channel because uh, when the money is unconfirmed and being pushed to them, there's no uh, sort of incentive for them to cheat. They're going to want to be able to push that money out. Uh, and for us, we are selling and fulfilling this this order. So for us, we have a reputation, and we don't want to uh, sort of double spend this or anything. But there is the the risk of us double spending a user, but we otherwise you would just wait for a confirmation 
you're not forced to uh, use this feature. Right. I see. Yeah. So I suppose really it's the same risk as any with a double spend that if I were to purchase something from you and I thought, oh, that you were untrustworthy, well, then I would have to, I would just wait for the confirmation before relying on that balance to make a lightning payment. Right. But uh, there'd be no risk to you if you used it. Like it, it, if it would send, it'd be great for you. If not, then you would wait until confirmation. Great. Um, and then are there any other upcoming lightning services that you want to talk about? Right. So initially, Thor was just a, a test for us. Uh, we didn't think it'd get as much attention um, initially. We were maybe thinking maybe it'd be used for merchants, nodes that wanted capacity right away, or some some uh, users that were wanted to receive a lot more. Uh, but it sort of it exceeded our expectations. We have sold a, a lot of channels and we have a lot of other lightning services in the works that I can't really talk about right now, but they should be coming out soon. Fantastic. Okay. Let's now talk. I think I was quite fascinated about about just channel management in general. And I was watching um, one of Alex Bosworth's talks from the Chain Code Labs residency. And I thought it'd be just interesting to talk to you about how, you know, a couple of the things around channel management at BitRefill. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience on that? Right. So uh, I run one of the, so BitRefill is one of the biggest nodes on the network currently. Um, as for balancing, I haven't really put much time or thought into balancing out, out, out channels. Uh, I have done manual work where I, I open channels to nodes previously that I would think would have routes that users would want, would want to route to. So it was all, it was all done manually. Um, I haven't scripted anything or I balance out channels because I think naturally uh, other nodes are opening channels to us and sending payments to us. So we sort of already have a naturally occurring balancing for some channels. Um, but one of the issues we had was having funds swept off because we don't necessarily want to close channels on a node or a user of us. Um, early on. So I think one of the biggest issues right now we're facing is sort of hoping that exchanges would ad adopt us. So maybe we'd be able to temporarily uh, push out funds and balance at the same time. But I know there is work being done by Alex Bowsworth to sort of automate this or having scripts that would do this on its own on the software level. Can you tell us a little bit more about this concept of sweeping off and the need to sweep off? Right. So right now we're still technically in, in beta, so we don't necessarily want to have too much money on our node. So I, I believe right now uh, our node is uh, 21 Bitcoin capacity on the, there's some utility sites that show the balance, but it doesn't really show the real balance. I think on one ML it shows that we have 17.3, but our real capacity is like 20, 21 Bitcoin. Um, so around like a good chunk of that is balance we have tied up in a hot wallet. So one of the challenges is being able to sort of sweep some of that off um, so we can sell it via or for our providers or sort of not have so much tied up online. Um, one of the big reasons why we don't want to have so much money on a node was, is other than it being obviously a hot wallet, um, there's still work to be done on the node level to enable backups and safe recovery of funds. Uh, the current issue many nodes like or are that are worried about is if our node crashes or for some reason we have some corruption issue, we may lose some funds on our node. So that's why we have a need to sort of 
sweep or close out channels that have haven't been used you know in a while or a long time right and that's interesting as well because then there's a decision around when you want to try and reduce the capacity a little bit let's say it's gotten really big and you want to just try and take some of that out of a hot wallet into a cold wallet you've got to decide which channel it is you want to keep what how do you decide what are the factors around which channel to keep open and which ones to shut Right, so there's there have been uh, a lot of visualizers or services that are popping up that that show channel activity. Um, I've sort of been done it, doing it manually. In the future, I hope to automate this. I, I've been looking at channels that haven't been used often that, that have a big balance to us. So I manually have been, have been closing those out. Or say uh, one uh, one of the other big nodes has say six channels with us, and they have three of them are completely all on our side. I may close some of those out, um, but it's all been in manual at this point. But in the future, I hope to have something automatic and I'm sure other notes, or maybe not even have to close out channels in the future. I think in the future with exchanges uh, and more participants, we'll be able to just sort of push out funds overlay. That's the goal, at least. Or uh, there's sort of a tech called spicing. So we may spice out funds instead of completely closing the channel out. Excellent. And do you use any sort of dashboards to monitor the channels or do you literally just use CLI character interface and just list your channels and pick from that? There's one uh, software that's called Ellen Dash. So Ellen Dash, I think one of the Slush employees or Trezor employees uh, contributed or somebody else made this. But I run that and I, I can visually see everything. I also run Zap, so Zap's a really good wallet to have on the desktop and on the mobile phone where I'm able to remotely connect to our server and visually see channels and close them out on my phone. So I don't necessarily need to do this on the command line, and I don't. Sometimes I do. It may depend. Fascinating. And can we talk a little bit about whether you've faced any sort of, are there any kind of attacks or people trying to maybe use up your channel balance or execute some sort of funky attack on you using Lightning Network? So one of the cool things with the, the Lightning Network is that if they try to use up our channels or sort of route, they're sort of paying us to do so. So there hasn't really been sort of a hacker or anything doing anything mischievous in this regard because they'd be paying us. And I think we sort of raised the, the channel fees for routing just a bit. So we're not at the default, but we're not too expensive either. Um, that sort of helped in allowing nodes to sort of just pick another route, not through us, so we don't become the main central node on the network. Um, we did see some attacks early on when, when we were in beta. I think uh, there was sort of, uh, not really a hacker, but it's more of a script kitty sort of trying to DDoS our nodes. But uh, for the most part, it was really easy to sort of mitigate this. Uh, on Linux and on servers, there's, uh, I think it's called IP tables. You sort of can limit connections or sort of mitigate this. So any, anything that we've had, people have thrown at us, we sort of mitigate it. Fascinating. Okay. And let's talk a little bit about some of the guidelines that I saw Alex Bosworth mention. So he mentioned, now, in fairness, some of these guidelines might be more applicable to the individual who's playing at home as opposed to somebody who's setting up, let's say, a big... Um, routing node like yourself, a bit refill. Um, but he mentioned this idea of, you know, don't make too many channels, don't make them too small, don't make them too large. 
and you want to assign more capacity to channels that get used and in the direction that they're being used and you want to assign less to channels not being used. So how have you found those sort of guidelines? So I think many of those we actually employ ourselves. Uh, early on, we saw many people creating really small channels to nodes and where the cost of closing that channel would sort of eat up half of the, the channel. So early on, we implemented a minimum channel. So LND has this configuration where you can sort of have a minimum channel needed or capacity needed to open to us directly. Uh, I've said that I think at the time was 0 0.001 Bitcoin. Um, but nowadays, uh, we have so many channels and, and inbound capacity to us where we don't have really have much of an issue with capacity. Uh, I've actually increased the, the minimum limit to something like 0.15 Bitcoin, because at this point, we really don't need more channels. Uh, the only new channels we're really being, that are really being opened at this point are big channels to us from other nodes that are interested in providing capacity to us or uh, our channels to Thor, to, through Thor that are under that limit, so to speak. Fantastic. And I think another comment that, might be interesting to get your thoughts on is whether BitRefill or any other large Bitcoin companies who are taking who are using Lightning Network, this idea of whether they should become a routing node or whether they should not. Yeah, so uh, in the future, I don't envision all merchants or exchanges being uh, a routing node. Uh, we sort of did this in the beginning where we were a hybrid, we're a routing node and a merchant node and all these kinds of things, sorely because of necessity. Like there were no, uh, there was no way for us to get capacity or purchase capacity back then. So today we had, we had, I mean, at the time we had to sort of become a routing node just to be able to reliably accept payments. But in the future, I see sort of exchanges hiding behind other nodes and purchasing liquidity and not being on the the network. So there's there's different views on this. Um, many think that. Merchants can be writing notes, or they shouldn't be. Uh, the depending on who you ask, the sort of the opinion changes there. But in our take, we've sort of become a hybrid. We're a routing node and public at, at this point. Right, and also uh, around the just another idea around Lightning Network withdrawals that some service providers say, oh, we'll do that for free for you if you want to do a withdrawal via Lightning Network and we'll only charge you if you're doing an on-chain uh, withdrawal with Bitcoin. Can you talk a little bit about any risks potentially that can arise from that, potentially the fee siphoning attack or any other things around how you're thinking about Lightning Network withdrawals for customers? Yeah, so uh, early on I saw that if you allow free withdrawals over Lightning, there's sort of an attack where... Uh, you can sort of steal money from an exchange or a node by having two nodes and, and, and uh, let's see, where you have two nodes and the route to that single node will go through another no node that you own. And with the fees being increased, you can sort of attack an exchange that is, isn't charging for withdrawals, so to speak. So you, in my opinion, uh, withdrawals or any APIs should not be doing free lightning withdrawals or at least rate limiting rate limiting it. Uh, for us, we've integrated withdrawals and deposits into uh, BitRefill accounts. So for withdrawal, we charge five satoshis, which you may lower. Um, but for Bitcoin withdrawals, we charge 
think one thousand satoshis. So we we, we want to make it cheap. But you can't have it for free. Otherwise, you have this attack vector that can be uh, sort exploited. Of, yeah. Yes. Okay. So how about the Lightning Network reference rate? So some of Nick Bartier's work has has there been much in terms of fee revenue coming in for Bit Refill? And now, obviously, I presume it's small, if any. But just curious to know your thoughts. Yeah, so we've actually made a lot more money uh, for from Thor, our, our channel opening service. Um, it has way, uh, I mean, the, the routing revenue so far right now is way minuscule compared to what we've earned from Thor. But uh, in our opinion, it doesn't really matter so much right now because like, uh, we, we get a use, use case and we sort of benefit from having a node already without having to, to route. So in our opinion, having a node that doesn't make it nothing running fees doesn't really so much matter to us. But in comparison to when Lightning was in beta and even the past few months, we've actually have seen an increased activity from fees earned. I mean, maybe some of that is attributed to us having channels directly to customers or having that service. But we have seen uh, an increase in, in uh, fee revenue and events and uh, this kind of area and i think that may also be uh, attributed to just how many different wallets we have and services integrating the centralized wallets we've seen from lightning right and now i think um i think those are most of the things i had around bit refills channel management let's talk a little bit around as you touched on there some of the different lightning wallets do you have any thoughts on just some of the different wallet you know what are the different the different flavors available uh, and just your thoughts on which ones you might recommend for users, which ones are not so good. Right. So in my opinion, I would rather use uh, a self-hosted wallet where I am in control of my own funds. But I believe having the choice is also is also great. Um, I know like every every exchange that sort of implements or centralized service that integrates Lightning, they sort of in itself become a custodial wallet. Um, but in my opinion, having more choices sort of benefits everyone. Uh, centralized wallets are paying fees in routing fees. Um, they are participating. It allows easy uh, movement of funds between exchanges, between centralized entities. And it also uh, allows you to sort of withdraw funds instantly from an exchange. Like say, if you hold your own keys, you, you run your own wallet, you're able to withdraw money from an exchange instantly. You're, you don't have the sort of necessity to leave it on an exchange. So uh, one of the wallets I use, for example, is a Bitcoin Lightning wallet. It's a, sort of a mixed mixed case. All the keys are in your control, but uh, and there's like a watchtower service around this. It's only on Android, but I think routing is the only centralized part. Um, there's a server, that central server, that passes along the routes for, uh, for you. Um, but there are other wallets too that don't have this. Uh, I think Eclair is one example. They're only on Android as well. And everything is on the device, keys, routing, um, and so on. Um, but they don't currently receive funds. So there's sort of trade-offs between all the different wallets. But I, I think in the long term, uh, we'll see most wallets have sending and receiving. There's also another uh, case of wallets where centralized services so the custodial wallets we have uh, blue wallet have wallet of satoshi uh, i'm not really so interested in those as much but i do like that they're they're sort of onboarding users to use this wallet initially and then they can sort of become interested in using 
sort of a wallet with that uses that has control of their own keys. Um, they can sort of jumpstart. I've been seeing a lot more interest in Lightning because of those with those wallets, and a lot of more fee revenue for our node because of those wallets. Um, as an example, I give a, a blue wallet. They are constantly opening big channels to us, and quickly being depleted on our end. Like we've been getting so many users from them paying us. And I'm sure uh, some of those users have sort of looked at Lightning and found just how great it is in pain. And maybe they're using their own wallet at this point. Maybe they became a Thor customer or, and so on and so on. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Obviously, I'm all in favor of the self-sovereign approach, running your own node, holding your own keys, etc. But we do have to be cognizant that there are many people out there it's early days and there are many people out there who are just not willing to go to the same level that say you or I are willing to go to. And especially as we start seeing Bitcoin and Lightning become used more online, let's say people like streamers who just use it to take payments while they're on their Twitch stream, they might not necessarily have the technical competence to go and set up in a more self-sovereign way, but hopefully they might start with something like a blue wallet or a wallet of Satoshi and then over time change to using you know more like a, a wallet where they are holding the keys and they are um running the node underlying that uh lightning wallet as well right so uh it's just different classes of users i'm all for having the choice um i personally prefer the self-sovereign one but i mean we see people have run their own routing nodes and also our users of the network we have people on mobile wallets, centralized wallets. I think uh, I would prefer everyone would use uh, their own self-sovereign wallet. But I mean, I, I can't force anyone to do so. And I think having the choice is at least a good thing. Yeah. And I, the other interesting part is just with Bitcoin and Lightning, it's much more interoperable, right? So one um, piece of feedback I noticed on Twitter, JP Koning made a comment saying, oh, well, what's the big deal about Twitter if they potentially put in Bitcoin and Lightning, couldn't they have just done this years ago with their own in-game currency, quote, you know, to use the word? And right. the way I responded there was to say, actually, there's a slight difference here because Bitcoin and Lightning is interoperable. So if a person, let's say Twitter, someday down the line, puts in Lightning payments in, in the DMs or whatever, then users could now withdraw that out into their own Bitcoin Lightning wallet. And that's different right. to having their own in-game currency. Yeah, and, and at this point, it would be an instant withdrawal. They'd be able to uh, sort of take liquidity out or even move funds from another service that they may not trust as much into something else. Like it sort of allows the, the freedom, the flow of funds to be more instant between services and interoperable, which I find great. Excellent. And now I suppose let's just finish up with a bit of talk around lightning improvements that you're excited about. Are there any things coming down the pipeline or any other things you're excited for? Like uh, not lightning itself, but I'm, in, I'm excited to sort of have uh, people earning Bitcoin, uh, sort of people creating services sort of so that you can earn on Bitcoin and spend from it. So we have a lot of sort of marketplaces where you're able to spend lightning at but not so much where you can earn. Um, there have been a few that I have been interested in. In there was one. There was a. I think it was a Monero miner where you would mine, you would CPU mine, and you would be able to withdraw satoshis into your wallet. So uh, a centralized wallet would probably be easier to start off. Like you can sort of have 
a wallet, run this service, and withdraw three Satoshis. And then you can even try something sort of like y'alls or something. Um, I'm excited about more use cases like around this earning. Hopefully we can work on some some in this area. Um, there's also in marketplaces for uh, earning in that regard as well. I think there was another one called uh, Making Bitcoin. I, I forgot the name. It was uh, They had Lightning support, which I thought was great. Uh, as for Lightning itself, the improvements I'm excited about, I think uh, just sort of having like a node stability, being able to uh, sort of have channel backups, not having to uh, be worried about our node being corrupted and going offline and losing a lot of money. I'm excited about watchtowers. Anything that makes it easier for us and, and safer for us to host a node with a lot of money in it. Uh, I think that would go a long ways in helping adoption with merchants. Um, other improvements that I'm excited about personally as well is uh, AMP. So being able to send money through multiple lightning channels uh, split up. I think that would help a lot with adoption and sort of help avoid uh, a lot of the errors we see today with sending big amounts. So you, you, you may not need to pay a big refill to open a big channel just to receive the lightning torch, but you may be able to receive it through many channels. So this is, those are just a few uh, things I'm excited about, as well as uh, turbo channels, maybe enabling that in the near future um, in that regard. Yeah, fantastic. I love those comments. And I think just to touch on your comment earlier about adoption more broadly and people trying to earn in Bitcoin. And I think that's also a theme that uh, came up in my interview with Sergey as well, actually. Um, and I like, I love that theme. I think because people are, we are ultimately, we are greedy and motivated to earn. And so one thing that I've noticed that's quite funny is oftentimes people got really excited by the whole idea of lightning network reference rate or earning, you know, money from lightning network, even though in practice, the routing fees are not that much, but right. perhaps but I think, yeah. I think, I think in, in that regard, it's mostly because activity isn't as, as high yet. Like there isn't as much adoption yet, but I, I'm sure the, the, the rates, the fees would, would be a lot more significant if we say have tens of thousands of users, even if with just that, we would have a lot more, uh, fees earned so yeah, it may income. be viable in the future right now it may not be maybe in the in the future yeah no i agreed with you there and i think it was just funny though because i would notice how any sort of video talking about oh, lightning fee revenue or any sort of content about that would have more views and more listeners and things even though it wasn't necessarily a reality today so i think you know your comments there about helping people earn in bitcoin are quite relevant yeah i know there are some uh, node operators that actually earn a lot more in fees i know alex bosworth he earns a multitude of more fees than i do uh, i think maybe that's due to him better balancing out channels or better strategic opening of channels liquidity to certain nodes but uh there's a future definitely i think like it's only becoming more and more promising i'm seeing more traffic more people pay with uh, lightning i'm not sure if i mentioned it uh i think we have more payments in Lightning than we do in altcoins in most days. I think at this point, it beats out Ethereum and, and Dash and all the other shitcoins at this point. It's like second only to Bitcoin on chain at this point. Yeah, that's, great. that's a great trend to see. And I think we're going to see more and more of it as the years go on. So look, Justin, it's been fantastic talking with you. Justin, do you have any 
uh, closing thoughts or parting thoughts for the listeners? I think just uh, I hope there are more people interested in lightning and more companies and developers and users that start to get onboarded because it's, it's exciting tech. Uh, I've been in this for a few years and it's 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 amazing to see it finally taking off in some way at this point. Excellent. And also, obviously, just tell the listeners where they can find you and where they can find BitRefill. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter, uh, J-U-S-C-A-M-A-R-E-N-A, just Camarena. We also have a website. Uh, BitRefill is also on Twitter, uh, on BitRefill, as BitRefill the name. Uh, we're also available at BitRefill.com. We sell vouchers, gift cards, services like Lightning, and so on. Excellent. I'll put those notes in the show notes. So, listeners, you can get the links for Justin and for BitRefill there. Um, Justin, look, I think it's been a really interesting conversation and I trust that the listeners will find it interesting uh, and educational as well, just to understand a little bit more about lightning and channel management. So, thank you very much for coming on the show. Great. Thanks for having me on. So, there you go, guys. Go and check out Justin and BitRefill, which is a cool place to go and buy stuff with Bitcoin Lightning if you like. As usual, if you enjoyed the episode, make sure you tell a friend about it and you retweet and share it on social media. That's it from me. Thanks for listening and I'll speak to you soon.